This morning my title is Something's Not Right, but I really wanted it to be, but I didn't think it was appropriate uh, to write Something's Rotten in Denmark, okay? Uh, I have a family member who, uh, whenever we're, we're there and something doesn't smell right, they go, ooh, something's rotten in Denmark. Uh, you, you know that feeling, right, where you're out and about or you, and you smell something, either a dead animal or some rotten food or uh, someone forgot to take a shower or uh, all those things, and you go, ooh, something doesn't smell right. I remember very vividly I was traveling in Russia, but this could have happened in many different countries in our world today, uh, where I got on a bus. I got on a bus, and if you've ever gotten on a bus in a country other than the United States, uh, it's just different. It's just different. The idea of personal space and occupancy levels just don't necessarily happen. And as I was on this bus in Russia, uh, they were just packing it on, packing it on. And there's one other thing that uh, impacted my time is they have different hygiene ideas in Russia. And so summertime, packing it on the bus, many people, and it smelled really bad. You've been in situations where you go, oh, somebody, whew, somebody smells really bad. Well, this morning, as I picture what we're talking about, it's the idea of being on that bus and going, oh, something's really wrong. And then you get out in the open air and you go, man, it feels like it's following me or something like that. And this morning, as we talk about what we're going to talk about, I just want to tell you, the smell is you. The smell is you. And it's the stench of sin that we're going to be talking about this morning. And I, I say that it's you, it's, it's us, it's me, but it's individuals. It's not uh, something where one person has a problem and the rest of you don't, or that a few of us, or there's a group and uh, it's all women or all men, or, you know, it's, it's, it's all of us. This morning, as we talk about this, I want to remind you that in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, a verse we use all the time and in many churches like ours, we talk about, it says there's none righteous, none righteous, not even one, not even one. Quoted from the Old Testament, and, and we get that picture and we go, it's sometimes hard for us to grasp. Uh, I know a lot of people. I'm very popular. I'm very popular. I know a lot of people. Um, really, people who know a lot of people are just shallow. I just wanted to tell you that. You can figure that out. Uh, they know a lot of people. But if I could make a list of all the people that I know, and if I could put them in a database, and I'd have this sheet, and it goes down, and I, I'd look at these thousands of people that I know, not one of them would be righteous. Not one of them. Thousands of people, thousands of people, some better than others and some that seem like nice people. And, and yet I look to God's word and I look at my database list and I go, none righteous, not even one on my list. Not even one. Most of you are on my list, by the way. No, most of you. You'd be on my list of people that I know. Not even you. And this is the thing. If you can think about this as I am this morning, if you have a list of all the people that you know, not one of the, the people on your list, not one person 
is righteous, not even one. But this is the worst part of it all. The person that we know the best is on that list too, and it's ourselves. We don't make the list either. We're included in Romans chapter 3 where it says, there's none righteous, not even one. This morning, um, we're going to start at this place. I know we've talked about this even in the prior weeks, but this is, uh, this is our starting point. The idea of being righteous is the idea of being right with someone, right with them. It's the idea of not having barriers or guilt on us. And we start at a place where we are not right, not right. And so what we're asking this morning is, how do I get right? How do I get right? How do I become righteous? I think that there are different ways of going about this. Um, and it's important for us to really identify what that means. So, so if I'm not right, if there's something wrong, if there's some guilt upon me, what do, what do I do? Well, there's one simple way of taking care of it. One simple way. Just change the standard. Just change the standard. Um, if you're taking a test this morning and it's a multiple choice test and you got the wrong answer, one way to make it right is to change the right answer, to make it to be the answer that you chose. Some of the teachers here are not following me at all. They're just like going, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's not right. It's right. It's not right. Uh, the idea is if you just change the standard, if you just change what is right, then maybe you have a chance of being right. It's the idea of lowering the standard to the place where I can get over, where I can make it. Or having my answer just be the right answer to begin with. Whatever I say is the right answer, and then I can be right. Then I can, then I can have it all taken care of. Obviously, this uh, is not the right way to go about it. When we talk about being right, when it says that in Romans chapter 3, it's talking about being right with God. To having this relationship where He does not look upon you and say, you have sinned against me, I have no relationship with you, to being right with Him, to being in right relationship with Him. Well, you can change the standard. You know, you can make up your own. You can decide what it is that is, is to be right in God's... You can make up your own. Most of us don't really make up our own. We go for the majority rules idea. The majority rules. Uh, we love that in our country. Uh, if somebody votes for something or a person and they get more votes than the other side, we go, they must be right. They must be right. Everybody can't be wrong, Right? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, God's not uh, polling anybody what he thinks is right. He, he's never polled anybody. He's never said, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? This morning, um, I don't usually do this, but in the surprise box, in the surprise box was a taxi cab. And I'm like, oh, man. And I was thinking, what am I going to do with a taxi cab? And then it came to me, when a taxi cab, when you get in a taxi cab, you get in the back seat and you tell the driver where to go. This is where I want to go. Get there. And they do whatever they, you tell them to do, and they get you to that destination. And I started to think, 
Sometimes we think God's like that, right? We hop in his car and we say, hey, God, this is where I want to go. Get me there. And he gently, he gently leans back and says, I'll drive. I'll decide the destination. You know, I'll take you where I want you to go, which is best. And I was thinking, man, that makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? You know, that, that's what it is. That he doesn't take our advice. He doesn't look to us for our opinion. Some of us have the majority rules. We say, well, we're just as good as anybody else. Uh, my family believes this. Our nation believes this. I'm right in there with them. We can't all be wrong. But God says, I'm the only one that matters here. I'm the only one that you need to be right with. Others of us uh, take an idea of the authority idea. that we um, and, and who's the greatest authority in your life? Who, who is that? Apart from God. Who's the greatest? Your mom. Your mom. And, and you learned this very early. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how you learned this. Because you were at school, you were hanging out with your buddies. And you all decided that it was a good idea uh, to kick the ball over the fence or to chase the girl and tease them or to lie to the teacher and mess with her and stuff like that. And it comes home. The story comes home. And you realize that you all agreed at school. The majority was ruined at school, right? And then you realize that mom didn't agree with the vote. And you realize that that vote didn't matter as much as this vote mattered, right? Mom's vote. And so maybe even now, your mom may have passed away. But one time in your life, you say, oh, you're just fine. You're just fine. You're doing just a good job. Don't, don't worry about what, you know, don't worry about those other things. You're just fine. And you cling to that and you say, I must be right with God. My mom thinks I am. Maybe for you, it's a pastor or someone or a priest. And, and they told you at one time that yeah, you're good right where you are. And you go, oh, okay, yeah. Because they told me so. I must be okay. You see, this is some other authority. But I want to tell you, it's not God. It's not God. You know, God's decision on the state of your soul is what matters most. And really exclusively, exclusively where you stand with Him. You know, this feeling of not being right inside, we all struggle with it. And, and if we can't get to that place where we're right, you know what we usually do is we usually fill our lives with activity. We, we busy ourselves with activity. We uh, maybe join the PTO or something at school. We, we involve ourselves we're on the Little League board. Or we're serving at the, the hospital guild and we're doing good things. We're, we're busying ourselves with community and we're saying, this is what is going to make me right. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Some even uh, take it a different route, a close route, but still missing the mark altogether. They say, you know what, I'm going to join a church. I'm going to join a church. That's definitely going to make me right with God. I'm going to join a church. And then uh, they go to a church like ours and they hear their sign-ups and they go out to the entryway there. Not the narthex, but the entryway. You like that? That's for you, Daniel. Um, 
go out to the entryway and they, they just sign everything. They sign everything. I'm going to be a part of this, a part of that. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to serve there. And, and this is going to make me good. I want to tell you, activity, activity does not make us righteous. It's not something where we busy ourselves and our goods outweigh our bads. I hate that scale, by the way. Because if I can really understand how many sins I've committed, I don't have a long enough life to do anything good that would represent those. You know, and apart from this... Uh, in the quietness of our own heart, the guilt of our soul cries out against us that we are not right with Him. It cries out against us. We can busy ourselves and, and tell ourselves, our mom can say, oh, you're okay, or some other person says, you're okay. But in the quietness of our own soul, it cries out against us saying, you're not right with me. This morning, um, if you turn over to Romans chapter 5, I want to tell you, I want to share with you the only way you can be right with God. The only way. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Actually, I'm sorry. Let's do uh, 12 through 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. The first section I read talks about Adam. And Adam gets blamed for everything. I just want, I want you to get that. Adam gets blamed for everything. I don't know if you noticed that Eve is mysteriously absent from this passage. And the reality is you and I are as well. Uh, it would have been great for our names to be in there. Uh, through the sin of Kevin, you know, uh, that would have been interesting, right? And you get the picture of what happened, that sin enters the world in verse 12. And it enters through Adam. You, you go back to the book of Genesis and you realize that the world was a very different place prior to Adam 
disobeying God and eating of the fruit. Sin enters the world. It it impacts everything. It, it It's hard to imagine all that it impacts. And later in verse 12, you look down and it says, as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all had sinned. You realize that when a loved one dies, when you see death in this world, that that is the fingerprints of this sin that had happened. That there's a sense where we can look all around us at all the sin and all that's gone on, and you realize it all flows from that time of Adam. So sin enters, death spreads to all. If you look at verse 13, it's an important point for us to connect here. Uh, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. I I want you to understand that the law, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, was the law good in the Old Testament? The Ten Commandments were good, right? They made us really sinful though, didn't they? And and that's really, as you think through uh, and really see the purpose of the law is that there was sin before the law, right? Uh, Adam obviously sinned and his descendants, and it goes even all the way to the time of Moses. And there was sin in the world. You know, there was murder and lust and greed and lying. And uh, you see it played out in the pages of Scripture. It, It was there prior to the law being given. And then once the law was given, there was a sense of, uh, binding our everyday life with what God had said. Oh, I just committed the you know, the third of the ten, you know. Uh, as he goes on to uh, express more law after that in the book of Leviticus and, and really un- unpacking what God required. You know what? We just became more sinful in the sense that we knew exactly what we were doing wrong. And so there was a sense of us connecting with the law. Our life was over here. God's perfect law was over here. And for us to be righteous was to be right with God. And yet we weren't. We weren't. Our law, our lives were clearly not what God intended. Verse 15. And this is what gets going so well. It's so exciting if... Uh, This was just unpacking the state of man apart from Christ. Uh, This would be an awful service today because we'd have no hope. And yet we go to verse 15 and it says this, but the free gift is is not like the trespass or the sin. What we have done, what we have done and what we are connected to in Adam, the sin that uh, we have a free gift that is different. I, I think there's a highlight there in that free gift in that for you to be righteous, it's not about you doing something, but the free gift. That's what makes the difference, this free gift that is unlike that of the trespass, the the sin of Adam. And so what's happening, and you could draw a little chart here. We're not going to this morning. I'm going to hopefully hit the highlights is that you could connect these two different scenarios. Adam's sin spreads to the whole world. That Jesus being the free gift, that that spreads to the many, to all who will come. 
And he's putting these side by side and he's comparing and contrasting the difference between what Adam did and what Jesus has done. And so we look at the free gift. It's not like the sins. If you look at verse 15, it says, It's not like the trespass, for if many died, many died through one man's trespass, much more have grace of God and the free gift of grace through that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What happened in Adam's sin? Death came into the world. What happened in what Christ, he died on the cross? There was grace that was brought into the world. It brings us to this word justification. Justification. If you look down at verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for judgments following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So the end of Adam's sin and our subsequent sin brings condemnation. You know what condemnation means? Guilty. Guilty. If you can think of this whole scenario in a, a courtroom and uh, the idea of us you know, being accused of something and brought in and uh, this is the this is the infraction. We got the law. This is the infraction. This is what you're being accused of. We bring the witnesses guilty. Boom. Condemnation. That's what happens from sin. Our own condemnation. That's the result of us playing out what Adam started. And yet Jesus, what he has done. What he has done at the end of verse 16, it says he's brought about something. What is it? It's justification. Because of um, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In the midst of the sinful history, Jesus enters in and he gives himself as a sacrifice for justification. That's the word I really want to focus on this morning, justification. It's the idea of how we can be right with God. The word justification is hard for us to fit together uh, by definition because it's the act of declaring righteous. The act of declaring righteous. And I think we can understand that, right? We, we can picture that courtroom. We we understand when someone is guilty, the, the judgment is brought down, the gavel is, is pounded, guilty, you know, and, and it's carried out. And the idea of justification is the idea of being found not guilty, not guilty, being let go, being acquitted, being thought of as not uh, having offended the law in this way, the act of declaring righteous. Uh, some of you quick thinkers have already found the problem here. Okay, so we have sinned. We've offended God's law. And justification is the act of declaring righteous, not guilty. But the problem is this. We are guilty. That's the problem with our definition, justification. I'd love for it to happen, but the idea of the judge looking at me and saying, you're not guilty of the charges, it doesn't work. 
Because I am guilty of the charges. Sometimes we look at, uh, at this whole idea of God's forgiveness and we say, it's kind of like, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Sure, you stole a bunch of things, but I'll kind of look the other way. I'll kind of look the other way. And I'll, I'll make it seem like you didn't do it, okay? I'll let you go free, though you're guilty. You say, it just doesn't make sense. The idea of justification doesn't work. Well, how, how about this definition of active declaring righteous is what we talked about. But rather this, to alter the condition in such a way that sinful man can be considered righteous. To alter the situation in such a way that sinful man can be considered righteous. You see, we are guilty, right? We are guilty of our own sin. This is not something that we can blame it on our brother or we just got into the wrong crowd or if my parents wouldn't have raised me the way they did. You know, there's always somebody else. But no, we're condemned by our own sin. But it's something that comes in to alter where we are in such a way that we can be considered as righteous. We can be considered right. Well, what is that? If you look at verse 17, it says this. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. For what Jesus did in him being the Messiah, the one to come, that he died on the cross. That's how we're justified. That, that how, that's how this justification happens. It's not because when based upon the law, we look at our life and we go, oh, we're pretty close, so they'll just kind of push us over the edge there. You know, we'll round up. We'll round up. That's not what's happening here. It's that the law is the law and it's good in every way. And that our lives being connected to Adam and our own sins have condemned us. It's the one man, Jesus Christ, through what he did on the cross. Him being the one, him being the one that altered who we are, that we could be considered righteous. It's the picture of us being considered not guilty. Guilty, but not guilty. If you look at verse 18, I want you to see where this, this change that happens, that, that because of what Christ did, you need to see this change that happens. In verse 18, it says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, what Jesus did, leads to justification and life for all men. Can you see this? So Adam sinned, condemnation, guilty. Jesus, he does the one act of righteousness, his life given up for you. It leads to what? Justification. And beyond that, what does that justification lead to? Life. Life. You see, what sprang out of all that Adam did was death. It filled us. It fills our every move. And yet what happened in Jesus 
His righteous act leads us to being justified, found not guilty, which gives us life eternal. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's hard for us to grasp how far he has brought us. This morning, I want to close with just a few questions. And they really bring us back to where we started. I want to ask you the first question is, are you justified before God? Are you justified before God? It's an important question. It's the most important question. It's not whether we think you're good enough or your mom thinks you're good enough or you think you're at a right place. It's that are you justified before God? You realize uh, that there's only one way. It only speaks of the one man, Jesus Christ, in this passage. Him being the only answer for a sin problem. The second question I want to ask you is this. Are you self-righteous? Is there anything you're clinging to that says, I am right with God because of this? If it's anything other than the cross, you're clinging to the wrong thing. And lastly, it's really the same question I've been asking for the prior three. Are you justified by the only answer, the man, Jesus Christ? Are you justified in him? Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for being able to be before your word, to scratch the surface of its significance and to find it to be gold to us. God, I ask that you would work in our hearts right now. I pray for those who may not know you, who uh, are uncomfortable because they sit in their own sin this morning. God, I pray that you would work in their heart and draw them to yourself. God, thank you uh, for the gift of your salvation. Lord, we don't deserve it. This free gift that comes without cost to us, but was an enormous cost to you because it was your one special son. God, I ask that we would cling to the gospel and nothing else, that we would rejoice in our justification, being found not guilty, though being guilty. You have altered who we are through Jesus that we could be considered free. God, thank you for this time. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, If you have any questions about justification or anything else, I'd love to talk to you about those things. You are dismissed.